It turns out that an eerie type of chaos can lurk just behind a facade of order. And yet, deep inside the chaos lurks an even eerier type of order. Douglas R. Hofstadter. The Dragon Pod from Bending Not Breaking. Book five, Ocean. Chapter six, Bait and Switch. Welcome back to another episode of The Dragon Pod. This is Ben Pruitt, your host, and we are on episode six of this season of uh, Ocean. Season Episode six of Ocean. There's a lot going on here. This episode, the season's just ramping up, and we had a great conversation with Jesse last week, and this week we have a really special guest someone you all haven't heard from on the podcast yet and so i'm thrilled to introduce paige van tassel uses she her pronouns and is a writer and co-producer and started working on the dragon prince in season four has a lovely cat by the name of momo y'all know what that's from and she comes highly recommended from our friend devin Gill as someone who is a thoughtful and generative person in conversation and so Paige, you have been highly recommended we're glad you're here how are you today oh, well i'm nervous now that i have that recommendation and no. expectations are high and i'm following jesse i mean come on but i'm i'm very thrilled to be here no, it's going to be so great. I have, I'm so confident. It's just going to be wonderful. Yeah. So you are, you write and produce on the Dragon Prince. And I'm, I'm curious, like, tell us how, how, how did that happen? How did, when did, how you started in season four, but what's the story? What's the scoop? We'll settle in. It's a long tale. Um, I'll keep it short. No, I actually, I was an assistant in various writer's rooms in LA. I wanted to write and I am I was a huge Avatar fan, as many of you I'm sure can relate. Um, and I got a chance to meet Aaron and he was very like generous with time and talked to me about Avatar and like took on my fan questions and he mentioned the Dragon Prince they were working on and I got really excited and I was a huge fan. Um, and then years later, uh, I think it was 2020. Yeah, this is a multi-part. It, we, we go through time in this story. Uh, 2020, we we're all having a bit of a, a crisis globally, I would say. And I was I was yeah. like assistant and I was thinking of like my life and my career and what I want to do. I went on a long walk. I was thinking of quitting. And two of my friends texted me a listing for a job, for a writing job. And it was to the Dragon Prince. And I applied thinking I wouldn't get in. And then I, I did. And three years <laughs> later, here I am. And it's been an incredible experience. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to have been like a fan first. And then a writer was on it was just like, insane. Amazing. Yeah, I can't relate to the being a fan and then being like, oh, what if what if all these things opened up and the world turned into like, and then it's just there's so much cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm having really cool conversations with the writers and then the <laughs> the voice actors and it's just a really cool process to to become involved it's really lovely yeah definitely yeah so you 
kind of are a, a double dipping fan in terms of the the podcast and what we kind of do. You have the avatar background and you have this now significant impact on the dragon prince. So that's really neat for our, our a lot of our listeners are do, <laughs> uh, cross paths, which I think is probably true for viewership too. Yeah, uh, definitely. And we like, you know, we play in style a little bit. We have like, you know, the glider and the Oh yeah, there's definitely some Dragon, like, you know. long hints. <laughs> yeah, I had that connection. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Have you had any influence on any of those, or is that just uh, out of the fun, fun animator side? You know, I, I I think it usually comes just from the room, like knowing we have those fans. When it's like, what can we put? What would Subaya put in her basement? And then we're like, well, why not put some fun Easter eggs down there? It's like when those situations come up where you have a chance to have fun and, and put some put some little things for the fans to notice. It's like, yeah. In this day and age of like, you get to pause and look, you know, it's fun to lose. And it just you can really hide things and some like people will find it. <laughs> and Reddit loves it. And Absolutely. we want to make Reddit happy, so. That's right. That's really the main reason you make a show is to make Reddit happy. Why does anyone do anything else? Right? I just, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So you were writing in LA and now you write for the Pr- Dragon Prince. I was going to say you write for the Prince. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, tell us a little bit about like what you do when you're not working. What do you do that makes you human? Oh man, good question. I mean, I, as many Americans are, I'm a consumer of many things. I love Naturally. television, books. Um, I I was a competitive swimmer oh. growing up, so I still love to, to swim. And I swam in the ocean for a while and then uh, saw a video of a shark attack. And I've, I've taken a break from that. Um, mm-hmm. Terrified of sharks. Anyway. But so this season of ocean was really exciting for me and just like the themes here because uh, I love being in the water and um but yeah. Sharks, yeah. Though. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, also a very scary place full of sharks. Uh but overall pro ocean, ocean's cool. Um but yeah, I don't know, I love food. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Food. I I'm a huge consumer of carbs. Carbs. Pasta, yeah. bread, uh, breads, um, yeah, music. I don't know. I just I love stuff. <laughs> Turns out, human, right? You like, like all the things. <laughs> I'm yeah. Yeah. So, one uh, curious question: Has your you were a fan kind of prior, and then you started working on the project? I'm curious. Uh, if your relationship to the show kind of obviously it changed but like i wonder um can you speak to how it changed after going from fan to being a part of the the creation of it i mean it's sort of like it's it's a there can be a difficulty in working on a thing you love Mm, Um, i bet (laughs) but the hardest thing about it is you watch these when you're a writer on the show and also like you know, all the writers, we all watch the cuts and give notes. So you're watching an episode for years because it takes so long to go from script to the different stages. Yeah. And we get notes on every round. And so then to sit down and watch it as a fan, it's really hard to turn off your brain of like, oh, what's that? Is that an animation mistake? Is that, can we tweak that line? 
And they're like, oh, no, it's done. I had to, I get to enjoy this now. So that's a difficulty. Um, I said like a positive thing about it is you just respect your work even more. It's so hard to make a thing. Um, and you don't really realize that until you're like in it and all the work like the animators do and our composer and the brilliant actors and all the things that have to come together exactly and perfectly to make this thing that I'm really proud of. And I think we all are. It's it's almost like a miracle that it gets done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so it's like, you know, the positive is the respect and the hard thing is like turning off that work brain. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been an amazing experience, So amazing okay well i'm i'm really thrilled because this is going to be a really neat conversation i can already tell so i want to kind of dive in and uh you know you've already been speaking to this a little bit broadly but i want to narrow the focus to this episode and kind of treat you as the primal source that you are um and i'm really curious this is a a very this is like the hinge point of the season it feels like uh in terms of what's going on so i i'm curious like what if anything um, happened in the making of this episode that you, you might be able to speak to? Ah, excellent question. I mean, just a couple like fun things. If oh, I yeah. can love those. Um, well, first of all, just to speak to once again, like the animators and the teamwork aspect that I think happens in all art that's collaborative, but I feel like especially animation um, in the original script, um, Ezrin uh, is able to get, you know, and like when he's doing the heist, is able to get the chest out before Finnegan enters the office. So we we didn't really have like an escape thing. Oh. And and, that, and it was only after the design of Finnegan's tower and the ropes and the animators like putting two and two together that we got that sequence of him sliding down, like zip lining on the rope with his crown, mm. which I love. Um, which is such a cool thing of like all the like the writing element that there's an escape there, but mm -hmm. we're not quite sure what it is. And then the design element of like, oh, now there's these cool ropes we can use. And then like the final pieces falling into place of just, I love uh, that we just got like that cool sequence that was totally unexpected. And we're like, oh my God, awesome. Um, so cool. that, was a, that was a cool thing of like the collaborative element. Um, and then another fun thing is this might be so obvious, but um, <laughs> Just like the love of TV and the writer's room um, and the shows we're obsessed with, because we are all obsessed. Um, and this episode, obviously, Deadwood uh, okay. was a big influence. Um, Finnegan is really is influenced by um, Ian McShane's character in that show. And uh -huh. then, so our nod to that, our very subtle nod, is naming his sidekick Deadwood, uh, which makes sense. He's a tree creature. And Deadwood sees him as like an object, not alive, you know, not like a person. Deadwood. Yeah. Dead it makes total sense. And it's very subtle. And that was our reference to a show we all love. Look at that. That is really neat. Yeah. I. It's so funny how like. I. <laughs> I would never have thought that. Right. Really? It's oh, good. Well, you know, it's well, and I mean, I, I've heard of Deadwood. I've never watched it all the way through. I've, you know, but it's one of those things where I think even if I had watched it, I don't necessarily make those connections. And yeah. and it's also one of those things where the name makes so much sense mm -hmm. to the character that the nod 
almost seems out of place, if that makes sense. Like the, the the name makes more sense than the nod does, but the nod makes sense because it created the name in the first place, which is really interesting. It's like they got it from us. If exactly. time is up yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. Right. Um. So. Well, I mean, that's and it's just really interesting. Like it just I like. I feel like I noticed them more when I'm like, why, why is his name Deadwood? But it, like, it makes sense. So it's, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think it was a placeholder name for a while because we can't just name him Deadwood. But the more we liked, like, the more we used it, the more it like made sense. And we're like, well, now we have to keep it. It's just, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, his yeah. name is Elmer. So it's, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's his nickname. His real name is Elmer. <laughs> but right now he identifies because he hasn't, fully come to terms with his power anyway that's a 507 i won't i won't or 508 i won't uh yeah don't worry we we get we dive hard into that we've already episode so (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah exciting okay so we have been tossing back and forth um a few lenses to kind of discuss the episode through and ultimately, you landed on the lens of order. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you can help me understand, like, wh- why? Why why pick order? Yeah. I think, like, the more I thought about Scumport, which is, like, the major setting for this, and it's such an interesting place. Because there's not, like, Rayla, upon entering Scumport, it's like, there's not really laws here. But there is an order to it. And it's an order set down by Finnegan through like fear and and violence and threat. But it's it's there is a structure to this, mm-hmm. um, which is was really interesting to me to like. And also Ezrin coming in as a king, taking off his crown. It's a different sort of yeah uh, society here. Um, so kind of diving into that. And then with I was thinking about Claudia's storyline and sort of the dragon and her fighting and it's not even really about the two of them it's about the greater order of things that she is that that she is like you know like now's our time the order is going to be shaken up um so it just sort of seemed to to fit all these different storylines um in an interesting way yeah i'm i'm we have not had this lens before which is like i it's always interesting to me when we find something that we haven't touched on because we've been doing this for like over five years now and I am like how have we not done this and it's either we haven't done it for a long 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 time or (laughs) um we haven't done it and I'm I'm uh, I think we might not have done it listeners correct me if I'm wrong uh but um it's interesting so I'm, I'm curious there's order is a very large word in terms of what the dis- various meanings it can have. And I'm so I'm curious, you you kind of spoke to the world order, the order of like law and order. There's like various forms and, and types of order. And I'm curious what your personal relationship with order is. Like how how do you experience order so that that can kind of help us contextualize it? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a big order of pizza, as we've established. Um, uh, secondly, I I think for me, like a large part of like my career and like the industry in general, and luckily I haven't really run into this on The Dragon Prince, but like other shows I've been on, it's there's sort of an unspoken order to things, almost like a hierarchy. And I think that's with a lot of 
careers and 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 just groups of people that tends to bureaucracy is what sorry bureaucracy exactly yes and and I think for me there's been I think a lot of women people in general but I think women especially especially previous generations were sort of taught to like know their place mm-hmm. and and stay there and a struggle for me I think in my career especially in a creative career where like innovation happens when you sort of go outside those boundaries and and um so it has been sort of like my upbringing yeah. versus like being able to sort of like step outside and sort of not listen to what I think the order of things is but instead sort of like break down those those barriers a bit and 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 uh innovate if that makes sense yeah no it makes a lot of sense and I think that's an interesting word to kind of bring into it this this it requires innovation right that to get out of the you know, presupposed box that we think exists. And, you know, it's, it's, it reminds me of the idea of like framing something as, uh, in believing something as impossible. And then when you frame it as possible, it completely changes how you approach it. There's a, um, really neat, um, I read about this in a book called three seconds. Uh, but it's a, about a math professor from the uh, depression era who, or who was a math student at the time (laughs) and um, came late to a test. And there were two, there were six problems on the paper and two problems on the board. And um, he finished uh, his paper on time, but he couldn't finish the ones on the board. And he arrived like 10 minutes late. Um, So he went up to the professor and goes out and say, hey, I, I like, can I get any extra time to finish these two problems? I, I didn't have time to do them. The professor looks at him and says, yeah, you get, you can have 24 hours to finish these problems. Uh, goes home and he was distraught because he could only figure out one of them. And he comes back in, turns it in and was sure he was going to fail because like, if you don't perfect everything in this time, then you're not getting a job. Mm-hmm. And it turns out one of the two problems on the board were considered impossible. And the professor had told the class uh, during that initial time, but he was late. And so he didn't hear it. And so he said, I need all the time to figure it out. And he figured it out. And that's the wow. story, right? Isn't that, isn't that neat? That's a true story. That's amazing. Moral uh-huh. of the story, show up late to math tests. That's what I'm hearing. That's like the main deal here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, here's the order of things and it shuts you down, right? It it has the potential to shut people down from trying even. Um, it's a very interesting means of control even. And I, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll dive into that too. But yeah, this will be an interesting lens. I'm excited to, to tap in. Uh, but before we dive into the episode... We must do our due diligence and remind our listeners of what's going on in the episode in case they haven't watched recently, which means we're doing a 30 second recap. Uh, And so I want to invite you into this uh, lovely practice that we have. Um, Would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. I love getting a thing over with. Let's get it over with. All right. I'm going to pull a timer up. And you have 30 seconds. Are you ready? So ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. Dragging needs a boat. 
uh, Rayla knows where to go. Scumport. Uh, but Finnegan's in charge. Uh, Ezrin's like, I can talk to that guy. He goes up to talk to Finnegan. Meanwhile, Rayla and Soren find uh, another captain. Vilas is back. Whoa. Um, as as Finnegan uh, butt heads over bait being bait, and as Finnegan's like, we'll take this chest and I'll give you a boat. And then and then as is like, no way. But then he's like, you know, we gotta steal that chest from. Um, uh, and then they steal, and then Finnegan chases, and then Claudia versus Dragon. Ding. That was good. You know, just got a little bit there at the end. <laughs> I get it for a first time. That's incredible. That's so good. Thirty seconds is so fast. It is fast, and if you like, until you try it, all of a sudden, it's just anyway. Uh, I have a timer, but will you count me in? Yeah. Ready. Yep. Two, one, go. Okay, okay, okay. So Rayla's like mysterious boat call, and then the dragon, uh, dragging head to Scumport, as you said, and then they try to lay low, and they go see Fenegrin, and then Claudia and Terrio play hide and seek with a dragon, and then Elmer lets Ez in to see Fenegrin, and Rayla and Soren go door to door, and they find Velos, and then the Drago finds Claudia, and then Ez sees justice as his responsibility, and Soren dresses up as the group, pulls a con, and then Claudia freezes Drago, and then lets it go, and then Nix is the first mate, and Fenegrin sees them leave, and that's that's the that's 30 seconds. That was like a Wikipedia summary. <laughs> that is the highest of praise because we all know Wikipedia. You is- know, the crowdsourcing, it's the way to go. <laughs> Maybe it's the the dragon uh fan wiki. Oh right, yeah. Yeah. Wiki. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no big deal or anything, but <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so now we get to just dive on in, and this is the the bulk of everything that we're going to be doing. So I'm excited to that we're here. I I want to go straight to you. You have uh, the the privilege of bringing our our first point and into the conversation. What is a moment of order that you were intrigued by as you watched this episode? Amazing. Um. Well, like I said, I think it was interesting just being introduced to Scumport in general and Rayla saying there aren't really laws here. And then I think the first, the first thing we see where like, we do get a sense of it's not a law, but there is an order to the way things are done is when she tells Ezra to take off his crown. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a very meaningful moment because I mean, we haven't seen the two years between three and four where Ezra has been ruling as King Tallis, and yeah. you know, we can, from his character, he rules with generosity kindness and with reasonable people you know having discussions um and now he's in a totally different place and that's sort of like take that off and now he's in scumport and everything he knows i think about the way things are done he's got to kind of figure out in this new place yeah you know i'm intrigued by this moment because like when as or when Rayla says you need to take it off, he kind of balks a little bit. <laughs> like he's like, "What?" <laughs> um, and uh, to you know, if I put myself in Ezra's shoes and think about what it would mean, it's like that. That crown gets him. There's a lot of unspoken communication that goes out when. Uh, he wears that crown. There's a lot of assumptions that are made. There's a lot of um, uh, order that that crown communicates. Um, And it it offers people who see it 
the unspoken understanding that like this person is somebody is that's really you need to respect that this person is important that that communicates a lot and to take it off and for him to kind of balk at it uh i i was curious about what the actual reason was for why he was like uh uh um and i'm curious if you have thoughts there um yeah do you like why was he resistant of that do you think i think a it's what you said it's like he's used to this you know not opening doors but in a sense sort of like it it yeah in this in this new place you know he's used to walking in having people know who he is and and there's a level of respect there there's also like the sentimental value of being his father's sword i mean there's so much emotion wrapped up in that as well um and I think, yeah, I mean, again, he's been king for for years and and to take that off and kind of go undercover is sort of like, I think he's such a moral guy, yeah. Asrin, so does that feel like a lie to him, you know? And I mean, he goes to Finnegan's office and then immediately goes, I'm king of Catalus, even though it was like, don't don't tell people you're king. He That's the first thing he says. So, yeah, I, I, I think it almost feels like a lie to, to take that off to him. Yeah, and I, I think that that's something that is really um, what makes Ezrin really uh, compelling as a character, right? And different from his peers is that his moral code, right? His ethics, his um, guiding principles, whatever you were calling them, are really strong, right? He is, um, I, I, I think... I don't know if there's another character on the show that has quite as much as integrity as Ezrin does yeah. um, in terms of practicing what they preach um, in the alignment there. And I, I wonder if the balking was this sense of ex- exactly this, this I'm not being authentic when I take this off. Right. Cause you know, it could be that like, a story might be that like, oh, I'm not going to be able to walk through town and be uh, regarded as king and people are going to treat me poorly. I don't think that's what's going through his head. It's more of like, this is my personal like order. This is the way I order things and this is how I prioritize. Um, yeah, really fascinating moment for sure. I, I think too, Ezrin, another great thing about him that does sometimes get him into trouble is he sees the best in everybody. Like he really believes that yeah. given a chance, most people and elves and dragons will do the right thing. So when Rayla says like, you better take that off, people won't like it. I think A, it's like, I mean, I'm I'm Kim Tallis and I've done a good job and don't they all know that? <laughs> yeah. But but also it's like maybe he sees she's a realist. You know, she's been here before. She knows these people. And he's like, he might think like you're I, I think maybe you're, you know, benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're better and they'd be better yeah. to you think. It's interesting because this is, I you know, I, I've said it before in different moments, but this is a moment where, like, the term naivety comes up for me with Ezrin, right? This is a um, very clear example <laughs> of, like, you're out of your depth, buddy. Um, and you're you're putting yourself in danger when you don't have the uh might and you know you don't have you're literally not in your castle you are on you know uh not enemy territory but you're certainly not unlike 
friendly. Yeah. This is not friendly territory either. So I don't know. It's this really interesting situation where Ezrin is unable to recognize that the order of the place, the uh, invisible laws and rules, right, that guides Scumport and the people of Scumport, he's like, nope, this is how everybody operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, that's really admirable on one hand, but also like, buddy, I just need you <laughs> to to pay attention for a moment. This is yeah. like the constant struggle of Ezra and it's why we love him, but it is, uh-huh. it does sometimes because he's obviously put in situations where he needs to like not be so trusting. Um, yeah. Shinnegan is one of them. I mean, he's like, I can talk to this guy and realize like, okay, we're going to go find a captain because no, you can't. Um, yeah. Ezra truly believes that he can talk to anybody and most people he probably can, but there are those people he needs to, you know, as King be careful around. Yeah, well, it's also interesting because, you know, I I, I think that this is a, a really frustrating topic for a lot of people. These invisible rules, period, are really frustrating for whomever doesn't benefit from the invisible rule. And, um, you know, this really speaks to kind of your contextual experience around, you know, patriarchal, uh, especially in the workplace, patriarchal culture. And, you know, thinking about how, there is a lot of oppression in this in this town, right? People are literally um, kept on uh, in a lower power dynamic in order to keep Finnegan at a higher power dynamic, and it's done so in high, like in hindsight with later episode context, with knowing that he can literally freeze people, <laughs> and and so it's like understood that if you go against this then it's going to be a world of pain and or death um which is really interesting right that this unspoken fear is what's guiding people rather than like community and love and kindness which (laughs) and like this ethic of love that is can't exist while this exists here yeah yeah definitely it's yeah. yeah, it's it's fully fear and power and threat. And yeah, the society that Ezra knows, you know, under his father to some extent, um, that at least as far as he could see, and now his with him as king is very generous, I think, communal society, and that's what he is used to. Yeah, and I think what's interesting here too is this kind of brings up the larger question of um just because it is ordered does not mean that it is moral right and i think what we we see that here in scumport is like there is clearly order here yeah but it is not like <laughs> a centered on like a strong moral you know ethic um yeah. and so it's interesting to me to, to beg which it kind of begs the question right like so you know i was looking up quotes for the you know initial quote of the um that tops off the episode and there are so many quotes mostly by men who are talking about how like the order of things is super important pay like we need to fall in line be like and just like and ah it was was like that was like there's so much around like it seems as though history and people in positions of power and privilege 
are always about law and order because they benefit from the order, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, of course, Finnegan, <laughs> a man, is in this uh, is in this town, and he is like the one enforcing everything. And it's just it's I I don't know that I have a I can nail down a point to this, but it's just I'm noticing a connection to uh, this larger framework that seems it seems really large (laughs) yeah that that the order is uh you know appreciated by those that it helps kind of yeah yeah um yeah definitely and scumford is such an interesting place because it is so outside of like the laws of zadia and human kingdoms um but also like there's no morality, but there's also no, I feel like there's not as much burden of, of history or um, mm. there's like even like the prejudice in, in Zadian human kingdoms, it's obviously better since the border got torn down and there's like people spreading and there's dragons visiting Catalis. And, but I think Scumport's interesting because it's such an immoral place, but it is like, as long as you follow the order, it is somewhat equitable. It's very diverse. There's humans. Yeah. As long as, it's, as long as, it's, it is it's like it's queer in that way right in in the in the idea that um you can be in relationship with these you know various differing types of people and that's okay here whereas that's frowned upon elsewhere so there is a sort of thriving here that doesn't exist because of the order elsewhere And so people are having and being forced to choose, right? So I would rather live in this, you know, amoral place where I can interact with the people that I enjoy interacting with versus I can't interact with the people I want to interact with because of the moral code here, Um, which is a fascinating thing to think about, right? Because I think Vilas is, Vilas has the quote where it's like, Oh, well, they opened the borders and I wanted to expand my horizons and get to know more things. And I was like, huh, that means you couldn't do that where you were because of the order there. Right. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Right. It, it There's a there's a certain element of thriving that's happening here. Yeah. It's such a fascinating place. It's it's I mean, there's so much criminality, but there, yeah, like there are unspoken honor codes, I think, as well. Um well, even Finnegan, right? It's, you know, I was thinking about this and I don't know that I would have noticed this without this lens, but like Finnegan has a code, right? There is a code that he's abiding by. Like yeah. Ezrin walks in with bait and he could easily just take bait from Ezrin <laughs> right there. And he doesn't, right? He tries to make a deal. He lets Ezrin walk away with something that he's really interested in. And it isn't until he is wronged that he exacts his toll. Um, and so it's really interesting. Like there's definitely an inner boundary. There's a, there's a, a, an order of things in his mind, right? Like this is the way that it should work to him. Um, and it's interesting where that line is and what's okay. And what's not okay, not okay, Uh, um, (laughs) not okay to him. Right. And um, it's just, it's fascinating to think about. Yeah. I think like, I think what, not to, I mean, the goofiness of Soren's uh, smart long pocket big businessman is just, Jesse just nails it. But I think there is something that Soren is keying into there that I think like 
Finnegan probably, you know, fought and killed and stole to get where he is. But now that he's there, he's legitimate. Like he's the ruler of this and he's legitimate. And and everyone should respect him. And he's going to show respect to everyone as long as they follow the order of things that he lays down. Um, it's interesting. Again, even then, it's one of those things where he says... Like Soren's like, oh, don't worry, I know the rules. I like, I will never, I will never be able to come back. And he's like, oh no, 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 quite the opposite. Waste my time, and you'll never leave. Um, and then his time gets wasted. He re- like he realizes something's up, and he leaves. But he doesn't punish Soren here, right? Yeah. And maybe he just doesn't have time. And maybe he would have come around afterwards after the incident. But like, yeah, some sort of like goodness going on as long as he's getting his way right yeah Um, it's it's hard to to pin down though right like and it's you know it makes me you know we talked you mentioned this earlier right Ezra has this idea of assuming the best of people I I and this is a super controversial take so I totally get it if you laugh at me but I also am of the opinion that people are doing the very best that they can with the information and the tools that they have, I genuinely believe that people are doing their very best. It just so happens that Finnegan's best is hurting other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so it, if that is their very best, we have a responsibility to do something about it. Um, and, you know, this is their best. That means they probably shouldn't be in positions of power because they hurt people in that position. But, you know, Anyway, I digress, but he yeah. has, he's doing good in some way, shape or form. And I genuinely believe that he thinks he's doing good. I think so too. And I, I think like most people who have kind of maybe oppressed others and gone to the top and, and there's mm-hmm. that sort of violence and stuff, they think, well, I'm now going to make things better for everybody. Uh huh. Yeah. Scumport is a bit chaotic and dangerous and but there, but yeah, like there's an energy about it. There's a marketplace. It just seems to be thriving. Like Vilas yeah. wants to go there. Like they're, they're, uh, I'm, I'm not like pro Finnegan's way of doing things, but yeah. there is, there might be a, a piece of, of truth to it. Then maybe we don't know what it was like before him. Was it worse? Was there yeah. a bigger tyrant? I mean, we don't know. Well, and I wonder, like, I'm, I'm really kind of, changing my mind on scumport as we have this conversation in terms of like it being a locus of not it's not just the crime capital of the world right it's the it's the space where people can you know not have to deal with the order of a kingdom right and they can go and be free and make choices and really have agency here outside of like don't hurt finnegan right and that is a preferred oppressive state than one that judges you for your identity for a lot of people and it's it's interesting to think about how scumport is in its in and of itself is a form of resistance against the hierarchical thinking elsewhere right um which is really wild that's like that's interesting to think about as like what if this is a locus of you know resistance that that people are are experiencing here I think that's like people in general myself included are like fascination and and like how we relate to like 
pirate stories or like you know uh, capers you know you know oceans 11 they're stealing from the bank or the the casino <laughs> it's like i wouldn't do it i'd go to jail like that's against the law yeah. but there's a there's a sense of freedom in that that like the the world is organized by these rules and these are the people courageous enough to kind of step outside and be like but why and a lot of times they murder and steal and that's not great but like there is sort of like a you know raise raise the sales and get what you can and it's a different it's different rule well it's interesting to me because i'm 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 relating this i just i'm in a class about bell hooks where you're reading a lot of her work um and i love bell hooks but this week we're reading her book on love and um one of the things that she talks about is how love can't survive in a culture in which lies a, like are the predominant and initial response to things when greed is something that we are so much grappling with when people are in a dominating relationships and are attempting to get power over. And I'm drastically simplifying her words, but the reason I lift this up is I'm going to, I'm going to talk about survivor for a second. Bear with me. <laughs> Do you watch survivor? No. Okay. So no. my dad just filmed an audition tape for it. Anyway, oh <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I would love to have even somebody that I loosely know, I would love to be able to cheer them on. Anyway, um, the the premise for people who haven't seen it who are listening is that you know like a group of people go go to an island and they get voted off one at a time based off of how you know whether they're trustworthy or not and how they get to the end and then one person wins and it is a zero sum game you have to win over others like you win so that other people lose right there are no multiple winners it is one person who wins and it is interesting because people form bonds and it's always threaded with, but what if they backstab me? Because And it just creates this situation where people can't experience like real relationship because ultimately this is a place where greed is literally the game. Like I'm playing to get money over you um, and people form bonds, but right. Those bonds are, often really judged and when someone does form a bond you're voted off this past uh season in season 44 there's two people who started like hooking up a little bit and um they were seen as too strong together so they got voted off because of how close they were to one another <laughs> and you know it's interesting because they're still dating mm -hmm. offline off of the episode off of the the game who's the real winner and that's my point. This is exactly my point. Who's the real winner here, right? Yeah. It's a, like if you're playing the capitalism game, if you're playing the I got to climb to the top of my organization game, if you're playing the I got to be the best at whatever I do game, you're climbing a ladder that is necessarily going to make it so that you prioritize that over relationship, over positive, kind, loving thinking towards other people. And that is exactly what she's saying is it doesn't exist. You, you can't do that. So get off the ladder, right? 
stop playing the game, get off Survivor, and actually have a loving, kind relationship with someone. Um, and that's a really wild thing to just think that you can quit. Yeah. Because we're so locked into this invisible rules that we think is, quote, this is impossible. I have to keep doing this. Goes back to this math problem. We're going full circle. And <laughs> like, anyway, I've been talking way too long, but it's. Oh, it's fascinating. But that's like, doesn't that make sense? That seems like it makes yeah. sense in my head. Like, am I just like, is this too convoluted? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, like in a place like Scumport, with a person like Finnegan, the only relationships are those that are useful to him and therefore they're temporary. Exactly. The utility is is no longer worth the relationship and, and the distrust and the possibility they could bet they could backstab you. Um yeah, so that's completely true and so relevant. Finnegan, yeah. all he has to do is get off the ladder, right? Yeah. All he has to do is be like, look at all like I have a lot of power already. I don't need more. I don't need to catch this Leviathan. I'm good. Like if he just said that, the, the problem would be done. There would be no well, problem. Sell us to all the one percenters. <laughs> exactly. Don't need anything yeah. else. <laughs> billionaires, people. Billionaires. Oh, They're you're good. First. This is why Finnegan can only have friendships with hermit crabs. It's <laughs> the only form of love he can give is to creatures yeah. that like can't give it back. Because he knows yeah. he can trust them. Yes. They, like, but even then, they are only his friends because they are useful to him. Right? It's anyway, the like the moral of this is what I'm learning what I'm learning as I verbalize, verbally process with you is that like we need to how do we recognize that we're climbing a ladder? The yeah. order, how do we the the metaphorical ladder of order that is dictating our responsibilities and really be critical about whether we want to stay on it or not? Yeah. And a lot of because a lot of that is self-imposed, like what I was talking about before about like me wanting to like, you know, like like as an assistant, my first year, I, I was afraid to like speak up in the room because I yes, finger was told that I wasn't supposed to. But like a lot of times I could have. I just like whether that was said or wasn't like there a lot of times we we are assuming there's more order. That it's impossible yeah we have to like tear down all those invisible (laughs) tear it all down yeah but the problem is we can't tear them down until we know they exist yeah right and that's that's what's so wild to me is until you realize that like this is just outside of our awareness we don't even know that we need to start looking and becoming aware um Gosh, there's another story this is reminding me of. Sonia Renee Taylor wrote in a, a book called The Body is Not an Apology. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the title. It's something very close to that. Um, and she I, tells a story about how, um, you know, the NBA had a, a, a player who got fined. And they were like, oh, well, well, I got fined. And so I guess I'm going to have to pay it. And then what happened was (laughs) they just, it happened again and they just didn't pay it. And then it happened to like, eventually the like whole team got fined for it. And then eventually more people got fined for it. And they just stopped. They just 
well, we're not going to hold anybody accountable because nobody's paying it. And so it's one of those things where like, I'm probably butchering that story too, but they were like, I'm not going to climb this ladder. This is not a ladder I care about being on. And so we're going to let that go. The order only exists if we all agree to follow it. Yes, that's <laughs> it right there. It, like it just like, all just stop. <laughs> it's so hard though. Yeah, it is. That's in like again. Eh, <laughs> it does, and I think this is part of the problem with like if we zoom out and look at like white supremacy and patriarchy and imperialism, we you name it, right? But what it requires is that the first people in a when we're looking for a collective movement the first people who do it need to like have the privilege to be able to do it and survive the consequences in case other people don't follow suit right and so in the case of the mpa like they're millionaires they can like uh, a fine oh no but like for for these for these people who are breaking these codes oftentimes that when this it, there's a power dynamic that means they're gonna get thrown in jail it means they're gonna have to pay a fine that they can't afford and like it would bankrupt them they have to do things that are really problematic if there is not a, a tipping point that follows and so i i think what i'm what i'm kind of feeling called to is again for the people who do have positions of power and privilege, recognizing that you more than anyone have a responsibility to hop off the ladders, so to speak, of all of the isms. Yeah, because a lot of people that are climbing that ladder feel like they have to because down below is like, you yep. know, of stakes and they feel like they can finally breathe fresh air. Exactly. Um, yeah. If below you is a trampoline, Jump off, guy. Jump off, guy. Yeah. I'm on that trampoline. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, this has been a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we fixed everything, right? Uh, we solved all the problems, right? <laughs> um, we didn't really talk about Claudia and that that little side of the arc. I'm curious, was, was there anything on this side that... Um, struck you as something interesting to talk about in terms of order yeah i mean we've heard claudia talk about like the so-called order of the world and you know the feelings in her bones about humans and suffering and how everyone looks down on them and they're think they're lesser beings and um and that's something she's like a true believer in that um oh. hardcore thanks to good old dad and his teacher <laughs> <laughs> um so we know that she holds that belief, but I don't think we've ever seen her. We She's faced off with dragons in, uh, you know, the season three finale. She's put Rex Ignis to sleep, but like facing off with a dragon like this, I think this is the first time that we've really seen that. Yeah, it's a different kind of battle. Yeah, I guess I guess they they face Pyrrha back in season two, I think. But yeah, yeah. it's it feels very meaningful that this isn't just about her and this dragon. It's about no. her. This is, this is, it's kind of a turning point for her as well of like, this is the day everything changes. Like you tell your buddies that you're afraid of a human because you're going to be afraid of a lot more and the tide is, the tide is turning. Um, so it felt very momentous, like in, in that sense of like, this isn't just about her first dragon. This is about her whole world shifting. 
uh, with her two hands, she's going to shift the whole world. Yeah. I mean, like, like that's kind of what I, when I wrote down my note here, I was thinking about like, this is her means of reestablishing the, you know, quote, correct order of things in her mind. Um, and this is, this is how it should be is the way that I kind of interpreted it for, for her. And I don't know if that's a generous assumption, but <laughs> um, that's definitely how I viewed it and kind of my thought process, which is, again, it is a symbol of like violent resistance <laughs> Uh, to oppression right and um, it's hard because this dragon is in her mind an oppressor right and is trying to maintain the fact that you know humans are lower on the totem pole so to speak that's not that's I try not to say that I forgive me for using that terminology um, but um, yeah it's it's odd to me to think about in terms of what's okay and what's not okay and what's ethical about this this encounter because like she's literally being hunted right like it's not great that that's happening but at the same time we know exactly why it's happening and what she's done and what she's capable of and so it's like ah, it's a weird moment <laughs> it is it's 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 hard to know because claudia like obviously she's a you know means justify the ends and justify the means what am i saying and justify the means by the means yeah kind of kind of person and she's on a mission that she really believes is for the good of all yeah but, and but she's so i mean she's still she's so claudia you know she makes fart jokes and she's lovable and yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there's that um and then we see these like moments of darkness in her obviously when she goes too far she could go too far oh, and really sh- get it dark magic darkness <laughs> there it is um yeah. but yeah at the same time this this dragon also is uh, like doing a favor you know what i mean like he we don't i guess we don't really know much about this dragon and what they believe um they're just one of many dragons who heard this call and answered um this very peaceful call to make sure that these mages don't get don't release this terrible force upon the world yeah. yeah yeah i don't know about this but yeah it's 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 kind of like a foot soldier in this bigger thing that's being caught up in this violence yeah um, yeah it's just it's interesting right because like if you think about not only is there order in scumport not only is there order within you know catullus each region zadia even right but there's also like micro orders in terms of like in small groups right like the dragging has a, an order and way and like there's a, a, a they achieve homeostasis and balance. Uh, I in, in therapy, we call it internal family systems, um, right, <laughs> where we all have, you know, different parts of us that kind of come into balance. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because the the system in, in this small group with Terry, the, the homunculus, Sparklepuff, Viren and Claudia is when the shit hits the fan, so to speak, Claudia is the one who, you know, is the first to uh, really get into gear. Um, yeah. 
but is, but oh, sorry, go ahead. Was, which is interesting. That was yeah. But Terry's the one to keep her grounded is the wrong word, but like she gets into gear, but she can go. Yeah, <laughs> she can go too far. Like we saw at the end of season four with with Rayla and the coins. Like you're just being cruel. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of his role with her, it seems, to bring her back to who he knows she could be. And, and she is. Yeah, right? And it's it's interesting, too, though, because when she gets into real danger, Terry's not scared to be like, uh-uh-uh-uh, <laughs> like, I'm gonna stab this person for you. Um, right? And so it's this, it's, it was an interesting dynamic here, right? Because I was curious that terry was hiding in this moment right it like i i think that's the gut instinct and then the secondary instinct is protect claudia at all costs um but yeah i don't know it was just a i was curious by it i was like huh so you're willing to stab people in one instance but in another and like this is not the first time where he's also gotten like gone earth blood on on some people and that didn't happen in this season or this moment either and so i wonder if there's just a different dynamic between terry and dragon versus terry and people Uh, there i mean growing up in zadia i think the dragons are the even for the elves to some extent the dragons are the rulers of the land so yeah i think that could definitely come into play of like a certain level of respect even yeah yeah and I do think on the on the whole, he he knows what Claudia can do and what she's capable of. And and maybe he even sees when she's like, I'm tired of running. Yeah. He, steps out. he knows like this. It's sort of like in every, in every like action movie where like the hero and the villain, the villain has like all the thugs, all the all the yeah. minions, whatever. minions. Um, uh, and, and the villain steps out. And he's like, no, I can handle this. And it's yeah. like you could beat the hero so much easier if you used your army of dudes. Right. <laughs> but they want to go. So I feel like he knows how meaningful this is to her, I think. And and mm-hmm. and I think that if she was in like deep doo-doo in a moment, I think he would yeah. jump out. Yeah. But yeah. Wild. There's a lot going on. There's there's some neat stuff going on here. Um what else? Did we what have we what have we missed? What haven't we talked about that we should? Oh man, I mean, I'm trying to think. No, oh. yeah, you've covered a lot. You nailed it. Amazing. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but I'm gonna go ahead and pat myself on the back with both my hands. Oh wow, not not just one, but two. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, everyone, we're going to take a short little break and we will be back shortly. for sticking with us uh we have a couple more segments for you today 
and uh, we have uh, we did our first three episodes with Lectio Divina, and we did our middle three episodes, uh, four, five, and six, with Florilegia. And so you've heard that twice now, but I will explain it once more in case this is a new practice for uh, listeners that are joining just for this episode. Um, so Florilegia is a practice in Latin that means a gathering of flowers, which is like really pretty. That's super cute. Um, and so what it does is it stems from a history of reading sacred texts, uh, whether it's um, the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud, etc., and uh, picking metaphorical flowers from the text to form a bouquet, so to speak. And so Flowers are really beautiful in their context in a way where if you see a flower on the side of the road, you're like, wow, that's really gorgeous. But when you put them together and you bunch flowers together, you get this really cool bouquet, right? And uh, the experience shifts and changes. And so sometimes uh, you see these flowers in new light when you put them together and it provides a little bit more deeper meaning. And in this case, the flowers are quotes from the show. And so we're going to attempt that today, Paige and I, and we're going to nail it. It's going to be wonderful. Um, and so I brought a sparklet, you brought a sparklet, a little flower, and I'd love to hear yours. And before we, just for the for the listener, we're going to read them and not say who said it. We're not going to say why we picked it. We're just going to read the quote and then what we'll do is we will put them together and see what value we 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 notice when they interact with one another. Um, Paige, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, uh, so mine is... Yeah, tell me. Um, king or peasant don't matter to me so long as you're offering something of value. Okay, all right. And mine is something roomier, but not lacking in style. So what I'd love to do is we're going to put these two quotes together and see what meaning we might get from putting them together. And we'll kind of see what it just makes us think of. And it can literally be from the show. What does it make you think of in your own life? Just at all, what does it make you think of? And I will read them both so we can have them. And I'll read them in this order. Something roomier, but not lacking in style. King or peasant, don't matter to me, so long as you offer something of value. So, as we read those together, what, what does that make you think of? I'm, I'm thinking of, like, value in general. Like, something of value, and then the relation to roomier but not lacking in style. Um Mm. those quotes almost kind of contradict themselves a little bit in a cool way um mm. because roomier there's usefulness in that there's yeah. space but then there should be style as well which can be valued and the second one you know what is the value i don't know yeah there's an interesting take on value and what is valued i would say yeah it was also like these the quotes kind of do feel in the same vein, right? It's um, something roomier implies, but not lacking in style is like we're 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 choosing something. Like it sounds like um, I want something. Uh, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? It's this idea of 
we like to think that, you know, that's, you know, what it's making me think of is like rooms, you know, how, um, uh, oh, this is actually making me think of the name of the wind. Wow. There's a, have you, have you read the name of the wind? It's a really lovely fantasy book in which the main character is really poor um, and really struggles making money like the entire book and uh, has to find room and catches a break and lives in a really luxurious, nice room, but it doesn't feel like home. And he, you know, loses and, you know, takes a hit and then has to go to a smaller room. He's like, this feels like home because the space is more what I'm used to. And so it's reminding me of that, right? This is, I want it to be roomy enough to where I have what I need, but not so roomy that it's opulent or it's over, it's so that it's not excessive. Um, I love that. Well, it's interesting too, because the second part I think plays into that, right? It's this, and I don't care who you are, right? Whether you're a king or whether you're a peasant, you want something that fits you, right? Um, and for some people, that changes, right? It just, there's a, yeah, that's that's an interesting little connection that that made me think of. Huh. Yeah. And the, the not lacking in style, king or peasant don't matter to me. There's almost like a sense of not caring who you were before this moment. Mm-hmm. And allowing for like self-expression of your true self. Yeah. I like it, it, you don't have to reflect what's been put on you, reflect your own sense of style. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Okay. So we have a little bit of a different perspective on both of these quotes after putting them side by side. I'm curious if we could now dive into who said it, why you picked it, and then revisit the pair to see if we have any more insight to gain after we understand the context from which it came. So you picked this quote. Uh, Can you tell us a little about who said it and why you picked it? This is Finnegan, of course, MVP. Um, But uh, yeah, he pretty much as we've discussed, Ezrin is like, I should take off my crown. And then he's like, hello, I'm King of Fatalis. And Finnegan's <laughs> like, I don't care. Uh, I just, I'm I'm all about what you can do for me. Yeah. Um, and you can offer me something of value. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, they're in the negotiating phase where Ezrin needs a ship. Yeah. So why did this quote stand out to you? Why, why did it, why was this the flower you picked? I think it, what we've talked about a lot these different sides of scumport that I both like, I think are not to like value judge them, but, but I will, um, they're both like good and bad of like, there's something refreshing about like, I don't care if you're king or peasant, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's very progressive and interesting. Yeah. And then it goes to, so long as you can offer me something of value, which is very capitalistic and it's like the good and the bad all crams into one sentence that I think really captures uh the complexities of this place and finnegan is the head of this place so he's it kind of reflects him the complexities of him um the good and the bad um that i really liked oh that's a really neat juxtaposition in all in all in one little one little sentence that's fascinating yeah 
Okay. So for me, I also picked a Finnegan quote. Uh, and you you lifted this up in our conversation earlier, but like I was really struck by his um, positive affect towards the hermit crab. And, you know, it's really the only moment that's like genuinely kind, it feels like from him. Um, and so it just it stuck out to me as something that was interesting. Um, so he says something roomier, but not lacking in style, of course, referring to a new shell for the hermit crab who has outgrown their their current one. Yeah, so it's interesting to kind of think about how one, these are both from the same person. Um, but there's like in you we kind of have like three colors, right? You've kind of given us a, a quote that has, you know, a bichromatic little flower that has two uh opposite ends of the color spectrum and then you know you have another one that's like oh but here's some kindness stuffed in um which is interesting to kind of think about so we have now gotten the context i want to read these together one more time just to see if anything new comes up and so i'm going to read them in the reverse order just in case something changes so here they are once more King or peasant, don't matter to me so long as you offer something of value. Something roomier, but not lacking in style. I think what I'm what I'm thinking about, like I'm thinking about not lacking in style. And I, I guess like that, and what we talked before of like, uh, when you're on the ladder, relationships are really only about usefulness mm -hmm. so something roomier so it feels kind but the something roomier so they can grow yeah so that he can have them as his ships which is very useful i think there is genuine care and love there for his pets but they are useful like you said yeah and then the not lacking in style the hermit crabs aren't getting anything from that. That's all finagrin, you know. Uh, like, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, there's there's one with like little flames painted on it. That, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like yeah, that's finagrin, man. Um, but yeah, he's trying to create like an aura around him that everything must. It's kind of falls into that order, um, including the shells of his of his little crabs. So like, it's both good, but there's also a level of selfishness to it. I think. Yeah, that opulence yeah. is not for the crab; it's for him. Unless yeah. Zadian crabs are different and really appreciate. Right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, which is, that's, you know, that's entirely possible. <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 new order offers me, it, it sounds as though that's kind of one sentence. And so it continues. And so in, in other words, th that something of value is something roomier, but not lacking in style. So like king or present don't matter to me so long as you offer something of value which is something roomier not lacking in style um and so in a way like what if finnegrim were saying this to ezrin right in the sense of you know i it's it's interesting because he's like going to be talking about bait and he's looking for a bigger bait link right that's gonna be able to capture a bigger sea leviathan uh something leviathan um yeah. uh and um yeah it's interesting right he's like very uh capricious in terms of uh 
what he needs from from bait he's like i'll take half of it that's fine um and like zero aware of how invested ezrin is in <laughs> um keeping bait yeah i don't know that's a it's an interesting little pair um which, which, which half this is i'm sorry i'm turning the question on you now which half do you think finnegan would have taken oh interesting uh yeah. i think Oh, you can pick. I think he would have picked which half. <laughs> they like. Oh, you can pick if you're keeping half. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't think he cares whichever one. He just wants enough to. to <laughs> um, or would he go long way half? Does he take the oh, like, right wow. instead of like you know torso and tail versus? Uh, anyway, that's uh, we got morbid there. <laughs> <laughs> that's my fault. Bates a person. Uh, <laughs> It's a part of the team. Oh man! Uh, but that's a good segue. Anyways, <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this this practice. It's always interesting to see what happens when we, you know, pluck random quotes and see how they play together. And sometimes they play, and sometimes it's like that's an interesting pair. And then you leave it at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, these these were this was an interesting little little sandbox time, so to speak. Amazing. Okay, that brings us to our final segment, which is gratitude. Uh, I'm a big fan of gratitude. I uh, hope you are, because we're going to do it. Um, so in this episode, uh, who is a character that you are thankful for and why? I, and this will surprise no one that knows me, I'm very grateful for my guy, Soren. Um, right, all right. I love that goofball. He's come so far. He's such a big heart. You know, he's been hurt in the past. I'm always grateful for him. But in this one, especially, I love when his goofballery is like plays into the plan. You know what I mean? It's like his secret to the power. So he gets to put on this little, he gets to, you know, do a little improv, put on a character. And uh, it's like, it's like a huge part of why they're successful. Uh, His smart long pocket. Um, should have gotten some essential oils as uh, <laughs> compensation for his spectacular performance. I, I hope I hope he went back to that stall and got some lavender oil because I feel like Smort would smell of lavender. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you got to really immerse yourself in the scent as well. Um, but yeah, I uh, yeah, I love that. I love that guy. So I love it too. That's so lovely. I think that's that's great. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I am going to pick Philos. Um, he is in this town for his own reasons. Um, and he went off on a wild ride with this group last time. <laughs> and he's like, yep, let's do it again. <laughs> and like, and so he, there's just this generosity of spirit that is, um, really interesting because like i like i will admit that i am on the ladder so to speak sometimes especially when it comes to like capitalism and like no i have to i have to do this and i have to do this and i have to do this and it's so hard for me to prioritize relationships sometimes when there's so much to do and it's just like there's always so much to do and so until i (laughs) until i say no it's always going to be that way and I don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons why he said yes here, but it, for me, I'm grateful because it reminded me that I can choose people over, you know, 
capitalism in this report because I don't think they're paying him. I don't think they're, um, yeah, it's just a really beautiful relationship that they have. I love that. Yeah, he's just game. He's game for the adventure. He's game. Yeah, to... yeah he's got an awesome spirit. Yeah, I'm here for it. I mean, oh, well, Paige, we did it. This has been amazing. Oh, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I want to give you an opportunity. You you may be like, no, thank you. But uh, if people hear this episode and they're like, Ooh, I want to talk to Paige, how would you want them to do that? Oh, I am not like an online person. But if you're ever in Pasadena, uh, <laughs> that's where I live. <laughs> Stop by, say hello. Um, oh, good question. I have an Instagram, but I don't know what my handle. If you Google me, you'll probably find it. Uh, it and um, sometimes people reach out and like ask me for advice or to read a script or something on LinkedIn. Like people should feel free to do that. I love sharing whatever small little nuggets I have. Um, so yeah, I, I, LinkedIn sounds so uncool, but probably LinkedIn. I think that's fine. I think that's great. So LinkedIn, Paige Van Tassel, uh, you can you can find her there. And then if maybe on Instagram, on the off chance that you check it on the once or twice a year that you look at it. Yeah, amazing. Cool. All right. Uh, well, this has been lovely. You can find us on social media. We are uh, have. Uh, a, a little bit of presence, uh, but we are quick to respond if you <laughs> DM us. Uh, BNB underscore pod. And you can also find us on Patreon. We do live episodes monthly with our patrons. We're uh, fin- about to finish up uh, season two of Avatar The Last Airbender. It has been a wild ride. I, y'all, I forgot how good this show is. It is unreal every time we do an episode. It's just so good. Um So I hope that if you are curious about that, you'll check us out. And Paige, again, thank you so much. This has been lovely. Such a pleasure. I mean, I, yeah, I like when you're working on a show, sometimes, I don't know. It's just amazing to share experiences with like fans and people that like it and talk about it. And it's, it's, it's like, right, this it's, I'm so grateful to have this job. I'm sorry. I'm now adding like minutes. Oh, it's fine. I'm so grateful for this job and I'm so grateful to talk about it. And it's such a cool experience. I'm so proud of and follow everybody who works on it because they're all awesome. And anyway, thank you very much. I'm I'm thrilled to be here and to to chat about this stuff. Amazing. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Go follow everyone. Follow us. Check us out on Patreon. And until next time, be well and do